Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, everyone. It is really good to have you here with us, particularly if you are just joining us for the first time this morning. I look around the hall and I see a couple of new faces. We're happy and delighted to have you with us. So if you've been around, um, you know that over the last four-ish months, we've been going through the book of Galatians, and we've just been seeing how the gospel actually liberates us. The gospel sets us free. You know, we've titled the sermon series, No Longer Slaves. And it's a testament to how the gospel doesn't just deliver us here and now or set us free physically, but actually has implications for how we ought to live our lives and everything we do. And so if, you have, if you've missed any part of the series, I'll encourage you to please go back and listen. But as you know, all good things must come to an end. Um, and you know, Tyro talked about that. She was leading that today is the last um, sermon of the series. And talking about last things, one of the things we know is that, particularly in African culture, that there's a lot of emphasis on last words. Maybe if you have a relative who is dying or something, um, everybody wants to gather around, everybody wants to listen to what they have to say. And so we see in verse 11 these very strange words from Paul. He says, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. And when Paul says large letters, he's not talking about, you know, in handwriting, if you remember, in nursery school, there was a red line, the blue line, and one other line like that. He's not saying, oh, my handwriting is so large, it doesn't fit into the page. That's not what he's talking about. He's trying to draw our attention to the fact that what he's about to say is really, really important. It's like when our parents, you know, or you parents, when you send your children on errand, and you say, open your ears. That's what Paul is doing effectively. You see, what used to happen back then was people would employ um, other people to write letters for them. And it's almost as though when Paul gets to this juncture, he says, guy, give me the pen, give me the pen. Let me write this part by myself. And so Paul is drawing our attention to listen, to listen to these last words in the book of Galatians. Talking about last words and people dying, a couple of years ago, my grandpa died, or was dying. <laughs> Thank you. And, you know, as, as happens in, in African culture, like everybody wants to gather around, oh, grandpa is dying, grandpa has something to say to us, let's all go and listen. So on this particular day, he had been ill for a while, and then everybody goes, oh, let's just quickly go and see him. But then they get there, my mom and her siblings, they get there, and the man is just heaving. And then to add to the tension of the moment, he says they should be singing hymns. <laughs> you know, like nothing good comes after this. Like by the time they are singing, everybody just crying. Grandpa is going home. He's going. And so, you know, I had an uncle who was, um, who was like, he's a manly man. Like, you know all those people that are big, they don't cry for anything, they're not afraid. 
man was just weeping, bawling his eyes out. My mom was there. All the people that wanted to go to church, they couldn't do anything. Everybody was just crying like he was. And so, Grandpa, ah, quickly bless this person. Bless that person. So there was one who hadn't, you know, he'd been married for a number of years. They hadn't had children yet, so he prayed for them, blessed them. Um, there was another one who hadn't gotten married, prayed for that one, blessed that one. She had blessing people all around. But Grandpa did not die. <laughs> he lived for another one week. So by this time, of course, like he had blessed almost everybody that there was to be blessed. And then he remained us the grandchildren, and I'm, I'm the first grandchild. And so that means there are responsibilities, but also privileges. And so they say, ah, pray for Adeolu. That's what they call me. Pray for Adeolu. And then I get to my grandpa, and then he says to me, Major Finn. Nobody knows what that means. <laughs> like, we try to decode. We try to, like, what does that mean? And here I am, blessed by my grandfather, but I have no clue what that blessing is, whether it's a warning, whether it's something, I don't know. I don't have any idea. But we come to verse 11 today, and when Paul is drawing attention to, these are the last words I have for you. Thank God that we are not clueless as to what Paul means. Because what Paul wants us to see is that the only reason to boast in the Christian life is because of the cross of Christ. He's writing these last words for us. as It's as though he's rallying around all the people in church like, okay, I've said all these things in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. I've told you guys this incredible story. Listen to these last words. The only reason to boast is because of the cross of Christ. And there are three things he tells us in this passage that we'll see this morning, that there is empty boasting that never actually carries us anywhere. There's a real boasting. But there's also hopeful boasting. And so we look at those three things in the sermon I've titled, The Only Reason to Boast. Empty boasting, real boasting, and hopeful boasting. Let's pray as we look into God's word. Lord, we thank you that we are not clueless as to what you mean this morning. Thank you that you've given us your words, Lord, through the mouth of the Apostle Paul. But Lord, even better, you've given us your word through the Holy Spirit, who is ever living and present. Not just to tell us what was said but to tell us what you are saying now. So, Lord, we ask that you help us, Lord, to see what you are saying now through these ancient words. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my God and Redeemer. To which we all say, Amen. Empty boasting. Tao was talking about a... So we had a couple of weeks ago, we had um, um, a, a, a men's match in church. Um, and that's what I was referring to when she talked about the GC that came second. But I like to put it this way. There was a GC that said they would win. In fact, they, they called themselves the Lambed Lions. Let's just put it like this. The Lambed Lions came first from the back. It was a lot of empty boasting. But actually... That one was not even as bad as one other GC that I shall not name. These people put out posters. These people designed. In fact, they had designed in anticipation of their victory. Let's just say the victory never came. Because there was a lot of boasting. There was a lot of talk about what they would do, and yet they didn't accomplish it. It's deep, Abby. It's deep. 
And that's what Paul is getting at as we see in verses 12 and 13. When he's talking about the, empty, the, the false teachers, look at what he says about them in verse 12. I love it so much in the ESV. He says, they want to make a good showing in the flesh. When he's talking about good showing there, he's talking about a kind of impression that they want to make on their hearers. They want these people to see them in a certain light, to see them as a certain kind of people so that these people will be impressed with them. Um, the idea Paul is passing across there is like you going on a blind date. You know, as a single person, or maybe particularly if you're advancing in your singleness, everybody wants to kind of, everybody. Okay. Okay. It, 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 it wasn't meant to come out that way. It wasn't meant to come out that way. Okay. But, 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 here's the point. Everybody, everybody wants to kind of hook you up. Everybody wants to take you on, you know, like there's this friend I know, there's this, there's this guy, you know, that you should meet this person. And so after so much pressure, eventually decide, okay, let's meet this person. But as you all know, like nothing good comes out of blind dates. So you meet this person, you guys go out to eat. Ah, the guy is looking dapper, he's looking fly, like man, he's dressed to the tees, out to kill. And so you sit down. He pulls the chair for you. Very gentleman, very, you know, a lot of chivalry. Wow. <laughs> he, he pulls the chair for you, makes you sit down. Then he sits down. And the next thing he says is, what are you going to eat? <laughs> I am wondering, like, heat like how? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What? No, no, I mean, I mean, what are you going to eat? Because I'm going to heat Heba. And like, nah, this good showing that I saw on the screen, this person that was dressed a certain way, this, this kind of impression that this person was going to make to me, it falls flat. Because they look somehow on the exterior, and yet when they open their mouth, they are something totally different. Or if you're someone who has been married for a long time, you see how that there's a, there's a spouse, there's, there's somebody that you've dated a long time, and yet, after dating for so long, you love each other, the first night, the person is sleeping, and the person is snoring like a train. You're like, what this, this thing that I, this thing that I thought I knew about you doesn't match up to what you are. And that's what Paul is saying here. This, False teachers are trying to make a good showing in the flesh. Look at the whole of verse 12. It says, they want to force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Paul is saying the reason why they are trying to make a good showing, the reason why they are doing all these things, they put up all of these good things, is because they are afraid of persecution. I know right off the bat, what we see here is that we have a God in the Christian faith. We have a scripture that tells us not just what is happening to us on the outside, but God is also reading the motives of our hearts. There are some of us here, the reason why we say, oh, I don't believe in the Christian faith. And you come up with all these arguments about how the Christian faith doesn't make sense, about how some people wrote the Bible at a certain time. And what's driving that is really because you don't want someone to tell you what to do and what not to do. 
Paul is saying these people have cooked up all these arguments in chapter 2. We saw they were abusing Paul. Like, you didn't even meet with Jesus. You didn't even have any relationship with Jesus. In chapter 4, they were talking about how that there were different kinds of children of God and that some people had to be circumcised to be children of God. And Paul is saying, yes, all of that makes theological sense, but what is driving it is because they are afraid of persecution. But we see also that they are afraid of persecution and they are forcing people to be circumcised. And the idea we see in verse 13 is almost like they are grabbing people by the hand. They are forcing them like, you just come. Just come. Come and be circumcised. And imagine them writing back letters to the people who are sponsoring them. And, you know, they are writing, oh, praise God. We just had 100 people circumcised in church. They are bragging about it. They are forceful about what they want to accomplish. But you see, despite all of that, we see in verse 13 that even though they are asking these other people, the, the people in Galatia, to keep the law, they themselves fail to keep the law. Do you see those three things? There's a good showing they want to impress. There's a forcefulness they want to drag others along. And they also want, they are also not keeping the law that they're asking other people to do. There's a lack of integrity. And Paul is saying these three things mark these false teachers. These three things define them. But it's not just the false teachers in Paul's time. It's also false teachers right now. There's a good showing. They want to talk about, oh, this is the church we built. This is how many people come here. This is, this is what we did by our own hands. Self-promotion. But there's also a certain element of forcefulness. Oh, give and do this. Come up with all kinds of schemes. Give and do this so that God will, this will happen to you. And they arrange all these elaborate schemes. But also there is a lack of integrity. They ask other people to do things that they themselves are not doing. You see, there's a guy called Jim Baker. He's been in the news recently again. Um, because of his antics. But one of the things that he did when he first um, came up in the 80s was that he was into Christian broadcasting and really, like, before your current Christian celebrities, he was the Christian celebrity. He had a lot of influence. He built a massive empire. He built, like, Redemption Camp. Like, back in the 80s, he had that kind of thing, the Christian-themed water park and all of those kinds of things. Eventually, he crumbled. His empire crumbled because of a combination of sexual infidelity that got leaked to the news and also financial um, impropriety. And so he's get, he gets sentenced to prison. And he's in prison for a number of years. And when he comes out, he writes nearly 700 pages of his story. And one of the things, he, the title of the book is, I Was Wrong. And one of the things he says in that book is that he had come to a point where he just couldn't agree with what Jesus was teaching or what he thought Jesus was teaching about finances. And so he was into, he came up with this, with this false teaching about how, oh, you know, Jesus says in, in Luke chapter 18 that those who trust in their riches, those who are rich, it is impossible for them to enter the kingdom of God. It is like somebody, is like a camel going through the eye of a needle. And what that passage actually means is the actual eye of a needle and a camel going through, but, but Jim Baker didn't like that because of what it would do to him and to his empire and to his business, his family. 
And so he said, no, it's not the eye of a needle. The eye of a needle is actually the name of a place. And so, you know, when camels are going through that place, they have to kind of bend down to enter. And so he came up with this extra elaborate definition of what that passage means so that he could still continue fleecing people. Paul says there's a lack of integrity. There's a lack of forthrightness that follow false teachers. But friends, it's not just false teachers. It's also us who believe false teaching. There's often a lack, there's often an, a desire to just impress people and be involved in good showing so that people can perceive us a different way than we actually are, particularly on our social media pages and our profiles. Someone in this church was telling me about a guy he knows. This guy is a student. And yet on his LinkedIn pages, he, on his LinkedIn page, he calls himself an energy consultant working for IOCs. We can laugh at that, but some of us were in the same line of thinking. We just want people to perceive us a different way. We never actually expose ourselves in community to people who would be able to help us and guide us to. We want to make a good impression. We want to self-promote. We want people to see us in a different way than we really are. But also, Paul says, one of the ways in which we engage in empty boasting is by a lack of gentleness, forcefulness, particularly in a city like Lagos. I like to say that if you want to know how bad we are as Lagosians, just observe us in traffic, <laughs> driving in traffic. And it's not just you, it's all of us, including myself. Like All of us believe, no, my own, my own appointment is the important one. My own appointment is the urgent one, and so we just we drive anyhow. We, we, we just we are forceful in how we go through life. But it's not just in how we drive. It's how we relate to other people. Because we don't want people to see any layer of weakness, and so we talk down at people in our offices. We act a certain way so that people can perceive us a different way than we actually are. Paul says there's a self-promotion, a good showing in these false teachers. There's a lack of gentleness, forcefulness in the lives of these false teachers. But also the last thing is there's a lack of integrity. How many times do we ask people to do something that we ourselves don't do? Have you ever traveled by public transport or you've been stuck in traffic and you see people that are selling books and they say things like, readers are leaders, readers are leaders, readers are leaders, read and lead. And yet, you're wondering, um, like, you haven't, you haven't done what you're asking me to do. And many times, friends, that's the same thing with us. We're asking people to do things, to do things that we ourselves haven't done. Paul says all of that is empty boasting, and it actually doesn't carry us anywhere. But thank God that is not all that we have. Paul shows us what real boasting is, and we see that in verses 14 to 18, real boasting. Some of us may have heard the name Ishola Oyenusi, a.k.a. Dr. Oyenusi, who was not a medical doctor but an armed robber. In the period after the Nigerian Civil War, which was 1967 to 1970, there were a lot of firearms. 
And so like one of the things that um, you know, happens after a period of war is that there's, there are people who have been trained militarily. There are people, there's a lot of firearms, and there's nowhere to use them. And so a lot of people get involved in crime as a result of that. And, and you know, that period after the Civil War saw a rise, a spike in armed robbery. And so the federal government came up with a decree, the military government at the time came up with a, a, a decree that said, if you were caught as an armed robber, you'd be sentenced to death by the firing squad. And actually, in the period when this guy was killed, he was killed in 1971. When he was killed, about 70 people had been shot dead at the Bar Beach because they were armed robbers in the space of one year. Last year, the assistant commissioner of police in Lagos State was interviewed and asked about this guy. And this is what, what he said. He said, what was his reaction when he was given the death sentence? The man replied, he was not shocked. He thought he was going to escape, but everybody was very happy about the decision of the tribunal because Oyenusi had become a nuisance in society. People were eager to see him being killed because they thought he would escape. And so the question comes again. In a video showing how he was being led to, the led to be killed by firing squad, he smiled. Why do you think he smiled as he was being led to be executed? He thought he would escape. He did not believe he would die because he had a lot of charms. He thought the bullets would not penetrate his body. So you can see him there going tied to the barrel and he's laughing. But one of the things this guy is also known for is that he was known as a romantic guy. So one day he had a um, girlfriend and his girlfriend was like, doctor, I'm broke. And so he was like, how can my girlfriend be broke? How can I have all this skill and my girlfriend will be broke? So he walks out to Herbert Macaulay Way in Yaba in broad daylight, stops a car, shoots the owner dead, sells the car for 400 pounds, because we're still using pounds at the time, and he gives the money to his girlfriend. Isn't that very romantic? In our mind, I can see Anne looking at me like, in our minds, we are like, that is outrageous. Now imagine if the girlfriend actually comes out and says, this is the car my guy brought for me. This is the car that he, he killed someone. He, he stole a car for me so that I will never be broke again in my life. Imagine the outrage that will feel towards her. And yet that compares nothing to what Paul is saying in verse 14. Look at verse 14. He says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul is like this girlfriend. In fact, he's worse than this girlfriend because he's saying, not only have I gotten something through the proceeds of this, he's saying that this person who was killed in a certain way on the cross is someone I'm going to boast and delight in. You see, because, friends, then only the worst criminals were killed on the cross. In fact, in polite Roman society, people could even utter the word cross. When the judge was sentencing a criminal to die at the cross or on the cross, he didn't even say the word cross. He would say something like, we hereby sentence you to die on the unlucky tree. Nobody could bring themselves to say the word cross. And here Paul is saying, it is in this thing that I'm going to rejoice. It is in this thing that I'm going to boast. It is in this thing that I'm going to find my identity. Why? 
it is because the cross brings about redemptive reversals. Redemptive reversals. It reverses our story. It reverses our trajectory. But it doesn't just do that. It redeems our trajectory. This cross is, is how one man who, who, who is truly God, who is innocent, dies for those who are guilty. This cross is how those who are excluded become included. This cross is how those who are outsiders become welcomed in. This cross is how those who are enemies are made friends. This cross is how those who had no hope become people who have hope. Paul says, this is what I'm going to find my identity in. This is what I'm going to rejoice in. This is what I'm going to boast in. And he says, may I never, may I never boast. And you may be wondering, is Paul praying to God? Is he talking to the Gentiles or is he reminding himself? And it doesn't matter because all of those three things are what Paul is doing here. Paul is saying to God, please help me. I don't want to boast in anything else. He's saying to the Gentiles, this is what it means to be a Christian. And yet he's reminding himself, this is what I'm about. May I never boast in anything except the cross of Christ through which the world has been crucified to me. An eye to the world. You see, when we hear the word boast, we think about somebody who is just blabbing. Or somebody who is, you know, has their shoulders high. And somebody who's just trotting down the road. But no, there's actually no word that captures what Paul has in mind here. What the word boast means. And so a preacher named John Stott wrote these words. He said, it means to boast in, to glory in, to trust in, to rejoice in, revel in, live for. The object of our boast or glory fills our horizons, engrosses our attentions, and absorbs our time and energy. In a word, our glory is our obsession. Our glory is our obsession. Paul says, I'm obsessed about this cross. It's, it's what is going to define me. It's what is going to define how I approach things. It's what is going to define how I live life. I'm obsessed about the cross. And why is Paul doing that? Because as we read the book of Galatians, and as we read the Bible, really, the entire Bible, what we see is that the cross becomes the pattern of Christian living and the pattern of Christian service. The pattern of Christian living and the pattern of Christian service. Let's look at those two very briefly. Christian living. Paul says in Galatians 2 verse 20. You may remember when we looked at it. He says in the NLT, he says, My old life has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives now lives in me. That means there is a radical alteration of our status. There is, there is an old me who, who Christ puts to death, but there is now a new me who Christ has made alive, and that new me replaces the old. But then again in verse 14, to help us understand what that means, Paul then says that I will not boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I will not boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me. And I have been crucified to the world. And Paul is talking there about the fact that it is only through death that we find life. That as a Christian, there is a radical separation that has happened. There is a divorce, a fundamental divorce. That the world becomes crucified to us. The world becomes dead to us. And we also are dead to the world. Question Paul is asking invariably is, has the world been crucified to you? 
and have you been crucified to the world? Or are you just someone who says, I'm a Christian, and, and it seems like there is no difference in how you've been structuring your life before you became a Christian now that, and now that you're a Christian? You see, I, I, I know how to kill chickens. Um, and I'm just dropping that there because we're talking about boasting. And I just wanted to boast about that. But no, I know how to kill chicken. Um, but one of the things, so the, the, the right way to kill chicken is, particularly at Christmas when everybody's, you know, bringing chickens, you um, hold, you take the feather and put it, and put one foot on it. Then you take the other feather and put one foot on it. And then you raise up the neck, pluck out the feathers. On, I see some people are already horrified. Like this is, this is horrific, Emmanuel, you're a murderer. But no, you, you take out the, the, the feathers under and then you take a sharp knife and you cut it and you wait for the blood to drain out and then, and then the, the chicken dies. But I had to learn at some point. Um, and I didn't know all of that. So what I did was I took the chicken, right position, one leg on one feather, other leg on one feather, I took a knife, cut it, and left it. And you know, like, that is one of the worst things that can ever happen to a chicken. You just see the chicken there, flapping, jumping up and down. The chicken doesn't know, am I alive, am I dead? Am I alive, am I dead? Like, chicken is just groaning, groaning there. And you know, friends, that is what some of us are like. We're like chickens who are just jumping up and down. Like, uh, yes, I'm kind of a Christian, but no, I'm not really a Christian. And you want to kind of be in both places at the same time. And, and Paul says, that can't happen. There is something that has happened to us when we become Christians. The world becomes dead to us and we become dead to the world. There's a fundamental divorce. If you are trying to keep yourself in both places, you are useless to both places. You are useless to the world because you are not fully there. And you are useless to God because you are not fully there either. Paul says how to live your life as a Christian is fundamentally that something has happened to you. There's a radical separation. There's a radical divorce. You are dead to the world. And the world is also dead to you. This means that we see that every pleasure we experience in this life is a, is a privilege purchased for us by the cross. And every pain that we experience is a loss remedied by the cross. Every pleasure we experience is a privilege purchased by the cross, and every pain we experience is a loss remedied by the cross. And so it means when you have when your work is going on well and things are going fine, you see that, man, this is, this is not just about the here and now. This is not just about me, but God has made it possible because of Christ. God has made it possible that I can work in such a way that his Holy Spirit is empowering me as I'm working at my job, purchased by the cross. That when you are celebrating your birthday and you are having things going well for you, you gather your friends and, and you are feasting, you see that, no, this is not just about me. This is a privilege purchased by, by Christ because he has reconciled those of us who were previously enemies. And identity is now not determined by our ethnicity, but what, but what God has done for us in Christ in joining us together. But it means also that when you are experiencing pain, you see your pain. You are going through illness. You are going through a sickness. It is, you see fundamentally that because of the cross, God is not punishing me. But God is at work in my life in such a way that he's able to take this pain I'm experiencing to bring some joy, some relief, something out of it. 
That when you have prayed and you have unanswered prayers and things aren't going well and maybe your, your child is not obedient and your child is walking away from the Lord or something bad is happening to you, you see that, no, God is at work in me in such a way that even though this thing may not work out, my relationship with him is not based on whether my relationship with other people are secure. My relationship with him is based on what Christ has done to secure a new status before God for me. You see, Every pain, every pleasure is a privilege purchased by Christ's cross. And every pain is a loss remedied by Christ's cross. But the cross is not just a pattern for Christian living. The cross is a pattern for Christian service. And that's one of the things we see here. The person who is writing this letter is involved in Christian service. He's involved in leading other people. Also in verse 14 he says, May I never boast. There is a certain kind of integrity in Paul's life that wasn't present in the life of the false teachers. Paul says, they want you to be circumcised. They want you to keep the law, and yet they are not keeping the law. Paul is saying, no, 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 you guys, this thing I'm telling you to do is not just something I'm telling you to do. It's also something I am doing myself. And so he says in verse 14, may I never boast. The integrity there is revealed in a personal experience of Christian growth. So there are many of us, there are some of us here rather, who are involved in some kind of leadership. Maybe you're a GC leader. Maybe you're a unit leader. Maybe you're, you're serving here on stage. You're involved in Bible reading. You're involved in music ministry. You're involved in preaching. You're doing something, serving God in one way or the other, or just serving your kids, parenting your kids, teaching city kids, doing something one way or the other. Paul is saying there has to be a personal experience of Christian growth in your own life. You're not just calling other people to do something for God that you yourself are not experiencing. Paul is saying, may I, may I, may I never boast. Maybe some of us are involved in business here as well. You are involved in leading other people, guiding other people, shepherding other people. The life of Christ, the cross of Christ means that you're not just asking them to do things that you yourself are not doing. An integrity that is revealed in a personal experience of growth. But Paul says that integrity is also revealed in a personal experience of suffering. And so you see in verse 17, Paul says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And what Paul is doing in that verse is that he's playing on words because if you remember, circumcision is a mark that you bear on your body. And circumcision was something that these, these false teachers wanted the Galatian people to do. They wanted them to have a certain kind of mark on their body. And Paul says, no, the mark I now have is no longer circumcision of, of not being circumcised. The mark I have is the mark of belonging to Christ. But Paul is also saying, if you remember, that these false teachers, verse 12 and 13, they actually were afraid of persecution. They were keeping away. They didn't want them certain marks on their own body. And Paul is saying, no, what those people were afraid of, the suffering they didn't want to experience, the suffering they are rejecting, that suffering is experienced in my own life. I bear on my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. It means Paul is saying, that Christian service as defined by the paradigm of the cross is one where there is a personal experience of suffering. Can I just tell you 
breaking news. If you're a Christian, you're going to experience suffering. Because we see there in verse 14, it says the world is dead to us and, and, and we are dead to the world. It means that we don't gel as well. It means that as a Christian, there are things that people are going to do, other people are going to be able to do that you won't be able to do. There are certain ways in which other people might be promoted at your workplace that you will not be able to experience because you are not doing the things that they are doing. There are certain opportunities other people are going to have that you will not have as a Christian. Why? Because you are bearing on your body the marks of the Lord Jesus. The question is, is everything... I know we live in a city where we want everything to always work out well for us. We don't even want to kick stones as we walk. We want everything to be fine and perfect for us. And Paul Paul is saying that actually if everything is fine and perfect for you, um, maybe you actually actually don't belong to Christ. So Paul says, he bears on his body the marks of the Lord Jesus. There's a personal experience of growth. But there's also a personal experience of suffering. You might know this hymn. When I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gains I count but loss and poor contempt for all my pride. But there are some other verses. I'll just read one of them. He says, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Let me read one more. His dying crimson like a robe spreads all his body like the tree. Then am I dead to all the globe and all the globe is dead to me. Then am I dead to all the world and all the world is dead to me. Friends, the cross produces this. There's a radical and fundamental divorce in our lives that happens when we become Christ's. But you see, like the good pastor and shepherd of our souls that Paul is under the person of the Holy Spirit, Paul doesn't just leave us here. And so the last thing we see is that Paul doesn't want us to engage in empty boasting. Paul wants us to engage in real boasting but he also wants us to have hopeful boasting. So the last point, hopeful boasting. See, I already began to talk about how the cross of Christ, verse 15, it brings about a new reality, changes things. It's radical because it is no longer about whether we are circumcised or not circumcised. It's no longer about whether we belong to a certain ethnicity or not. Paul says it is radical because God brings about a new creation. Verse 15. But then in verse 16, it says, On account of this, we have peace and mercy. Peace with God and mercy from God. And he says, because of that, we become the Israel of God. And these two things together, Paul is talking about a new identity that the cross brings. The cross makes those of us who were on the outside brought in. Those of us who were not part of the Israel of God become part of the Israel of God. Those of us who were the old creation become the new creation. But you see, if you've um, lived as a Christian long enough, you know that these two things struggle with each other. These two things war against each other. 
In fact, in chapter 4, verse 21, that we saw a couple of weeks ago, Paul was saying, no, cast away the, the old, the, the slave woman from among you. And Paul is, Paul is saying, this old and new way don't gel, they don't mix. There's a tussle, there's a war that goes on between them. You have to fight, you have to wrestle. But the truth, friends, is that we get tired. Like, if you're engaged in any, no matter how skilled you are, if you're engaged in anything for a long period of time, you get tired. You might have been boasting, like you listen to a fantastic sermon, like, man, I love Christ, I'm going to live for Christ, I'm going to do this, and then, see a couple of months down the line, things aren't really working for me, I have bills to pay. Things aren't going well, and you're tired, you're you are exhausted. Paul has hope for us this morning. Speaking of boasting, it is incomplete to have a sermon about boasting that doesn't talk about the king of boasting, Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali was a phenomenal athlete. Like, he was phenomenal not just because of what he did, which was a lot. Like, he fought over the span of nearly 20 years of fighting as a boxer, he had 50, 61 fights, competitive fights, 61 competitive fights, and he lost only five of them. That means like almost 90% of his, of his fights he won. Nearly half of those 61 were by knockouts. Like if he beat you, he beat you black and blue. But he wasn't just good with his skill, what he said in, inside the boxing ring. He was also good outside of the boxing ring with what he said with his words. He was so skilled as a, as a lyricist and someone who used words that he's said to have been one of the first people ever to rap. So one of the things he said is this. I've wrestled with alligators. I wish I had the black American, you know, swag. I've wrestled with alligators, I've tussled with a whale, I've done handcuffed lightning and thrown thunder in jail. You know I'm bad. Just last week, I murdered a rock, injured a stone, hospitalized a brick. I'm so mean, I make medicine sick. Bad guy. He was phenomenal. At 18, he became an Olympic champion. He won a a gold medal for the U.S. in, in the 1960-something um, Olympics. At 23, he became the world heavyweight champion. Some of you may have seen that picture where he took underwater. He was a phenomenal athlete. But there's one more picture. How do you think he was when he took this picture? 60? 70? 70, he was 47. You see, when he was 41, his body started slowing down. In fact, he, one of his last fights, I think his last fight was at 41, the person who beat him, as in the person who beat him was crying that he beat him. Like, how can I, like, how can I even fight against this guy? He was that good of an athlete, but his body had taken so many blows. It is said that by, the, by his, first, his first few fights, he was taking 11 point something blows to the head per round. In his last 10 fights, he was taking an average of 18.6 blows to the head per round. That kind of thing catches up with you. 
And so someone writing about him wrote, he was an old man at 41. Ali admitted he was worried about his condition. His friends and family were worried too. He was drowsy all the time. He shuffled when he walked and murmured when he talked. His left thumb trembled. He drooled at times. He felt suddenly like an old man and he wanted to know what was happening. Eventually, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and he had to step away from the sport. But then he was such a phenomenal athlete that when the 1996 Olympics was happening, they asked him to light the Olympic torch. And we'll see in this video. he was 54. He had lost control of his body. He needed to be helped around. The man who was, his mind was sharp. He still could say a number of good things. His boasting was real because in many ways he's the, he's the best in the world, best ever that there was in the history of boxing. And yet, there was a gap there was a gap in what he was saying and what he was doing. And if you asked him, he would say, I wish I had a different body. I wish I was, there was something new about me. There was something different about me. And the truth, friends, is that many of us feel the same way. Many of us feel exhausted sometimes just going through life as Christians. Many of us feel exhausted from the pressure of living in a fallen world where there's a lot of hype and boasting and yet it doesn't match up to our expectations. But I have good news for you. I have good news for you if you're a Christian. Look at what Paul says in verse 15. What counts is not circumcision or uncircumcision. What counts is the new creation. You see, when the Bible talks about the new creation, it's not just an identity that is given to us, but a destination that is guaranteed. It means that God is saying, what I have said to you now will not just happen in the now. It is secured for all of time. And so we look at this and we say, hey, what hope is there for me? If I boast now, if I delight in Christ now, if I do all the things I'm meant to do, what hope is there that somehow I'm going to be carried all the way home? God assures us that because of the cross, because of the cross, you don't just have a new identity, you have a new destination. You see, I said... Boasting in the cross means that we see every privilege as purchased by the, every pleasure as a privilege purchased by the cross and every loss as a debt remedied by the cross. But you see, Paul's answer to that in 1 Corinthians 15 is if in this life alone we have hope, we have all men most miserable, something has to happen, something has to be guaranteed that doesn't just happen in this life but carries us all the way home. Paul says, on account of the cross of Christ, we are guaranteed not just this life, we are guaranteed the next life. We are guaranteed not just this present time, we are guaranteed the future. We are guaranteed not just a new creation for the now, we are guaranteed a new world as well. 
where our bodies will not be sick, where there will be no pressures of, of, of disobeying Christ, where there, everything will work out well for us. Friends, the cross carries us all the way through. The cross ensures that our boasting is not just real, but it is hopeful because of what we know will happen to us in the future. See, everybody wants to kind of leave Nigeria and go to Canada. And you know, one of the things that happens if, you, if you've put in your application and you're successful is that you're given a PR, a permanent residency card. And on the day you're given that card, nothing physical about you changes. Yet it confers on you a new identity as someone headed for another destination. But it also guarantees you that when you get to that destination, you will make it through. That is what the cross of Christ does for us, friends. It guarantees us a new identity, but it ensures that when we get there, we will make it through. But in the in-between, between now and then, it guarantees us that as we journey through life, we have a God whose ears are wide open to hear us. We have a God whose heart is attuned towards us. We have a God whose hands is inclined to help us. We have a, a God whose feet is inclined to run towards us. We have a God who, because of the cross, we can hopefully boast in. So the question this morning is, what are you boasting in? What are you hoping in? Because it's only the cross of Christ that brings real boasting but also the cross of Christ that guarantees hopeful boasting. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.